0: Good morning to you, Tucson and all of Southern Arizona. Welcome live out of the Common Workspace studios. You're listening to Tipping Point with Zach Yenster on AM1030, KVOY, the voice of the in-depth news conversation and talk about the people, ideas, and issues shaping Tucson's future. I am your host, Zach Yenster. Good morning to you. And uh, Matt, happy Hump Day. And Pastor Jeff, happy Hump Day. It's Wednesday.
1: It is. (laughs) The Hump Day edition of uh, Tipping Point.
0: That's it, hump day. Although I had a friend tell me yesterday, well, we have to get through the day for it to be truly hump day. I'm like, no qualifiers. It's Wednesday, I don't care it's the morning. It's hump day. We made it. This is the middle point uh, of the week. Tucson, it is so good to be with you. It is uh, uh, It is an honor, truthfully, to get to talk with real life people about real life issues in real time every day here on the show. And I gotta say the first couple days of this week have been some of the most authentic and passionate conversation on both sides of the mic. It's been been only me uh, on this side of the mic, uh, but we've had callers and social media and emails and so much of the last couple of the days have revolved around what do we do about the homelessness situation that is growing in Tucson? We we we, uh, we, we bared our hearts, uh, as they say, I guess. Uh, uh, and it, it's been a great it's been a great couple of days. Thank you, Tucson five two zero seven nine zero twenty forty. But the rest of the way this week, for the most part, uh, our guest conversations, uh, talking to people way smarter than me uh, about the issues that we uh, that we care about here on the program. So thank you Tucson for listening. I know you're out there whether you call in, email in, tweet at me, Facebook post uh, we are driving I think some good conversation together. Conversation that matters about topics that matter. Uh, on today's show to close us out I'll, I'll back my way into what we're doing today. Uh, we're, I'm, I'm going to talk with Ruben Navarrete the most widely read Latino columnist in the country. His recent Washington Post article, Saints Alive, the Ukrainians and the Irish have a lot in common. Of course, our St. Paddy's Day themed uh, conversation ahead of St. Paddy's Day tomorrow. So we we try to stay on on current events. It's my daughter's birthday, it's St. Paddy's Day. Happy birthday. She came out with red hair and blue eyes. So it was all aligned. It was planned, (laughs) it was
1: (laughs) pre-planned. It was all aligned. You didn't even have a chance.
0: (laughs) It was all aligned. (laughs) Uh, And, of course, the voice you hear now is one that all of our listeners are very familiar with. Pastor Jeff Lockston, the pastor of Hope City Church on the 22nd Street Corridor, our faith and culture contributor. I followed the lives of 3,290 teenagers. This is what I learned about religion and education. Written March 15th in the New York Times. Our conversations revolve around the intersection of faith, church, culture, and community for a few minutes uh, on pretty much a weekly basis. Pastor Jeff, uh, let's kick it over to our conversation. Good to see you. Thanks for being in studio.
1: Yeah. Great to be here as always.
0: Our uh, man of the cloth in a uh, sweater and shorts, of course. Had to look. (laughs) Had to look. Uh, man of the cloth in a sweater and shorts. Always good to be, always good to be with you. And it was good to see you, Pastor Jeff, on Monday. We were mm-hmm. at the groundbreaking celebration, uh, celebrating Desiree Cook, yes, uh, of U360. IMU 360, their tiny home experience, helping young people uh, have uh, supportive and sustainable housing uh, to transition out of foster care and out of homelessness. Amazing project, and I know right. you and your church are such a part of it.
1: Yeah, it was phenomenal to see the holes in the ground and and the momentum wrapped around that. And it was uh, open house, I think, from uh, 9, 10 in the morning until 2. Uh, Different people came out. Mayor came out and uh, firsthand look at what's going on there and the work that is being done uh, directly with uh, uh, youth between that 18 and 24 age gap uh, who are aged out of services. Um, you know, uh, we, you and I were talking before the, the broadcast about the increasing yeah. homelessness, uh, situation throughout the city. And this would be, mm. you know, the next wave of that, the 18 yeah. to 24 year olds who've aged out and there's as many as 7,000 in our community, Oof. but IMU 360 is dr- directly touching the lives of 4,000 of them. Mm. Wow. So this this location, you know, is a drop in the bucket in terms of hands-on, you know, leadership development type program, helping to work with them for basic skills. You know, if, if our listeners have been following us for a length of time, they heard directly from Desiree yep. uh, a few months ago, but uh, to see the groundbreaking yeah. and the and the buildings start to be erected is phenomenal. I know she's still in the middle of a fundraising campaign and has been awarded a grant for half of the amount, but there's still a considerable amount for her to to raise. So if someone's listening and feels compelled to contribute yeah. to that, definitely look up IMU360 on the website.
0: i love our listeners to get behind that just personally. And this is not why we're here today, but this, no. I think, is a lead-in to where we're going. Uh, I've been talking a lot on the show about how um, there is kind of this housing-first model where there's this assumption, just get someone in a home mm-hmm. and the... Uh, weaknesses in their personal foundation, maybe that have caused them to be homeless, will go away. No. And I am becoming more and more by the data an advocate of uh, shelter first, treatment first, housing earned. Mm -hmm. In the context of IMU 360, my understanding is that yes, these are uh, smaller housing units for young people, but there is accountability, there is training, there is leadership, there is a requirement, and there are wraparound services provided to help these young people not just stay there, but graduate out right. and have successful Tucson lives. Any quick thoughts on that?
1: Well, it is a specific period of time and there is a specific curriculum, if you will, and working alongside of them. I've seen that firsthand in uh, the kinship that we've been a part of. You can't just provide somebody with a shelter and walk away. There is a, a certain amount of accountability and support that has to be there in order for them to be autonomous.
0: For sure. Uh, Yeah, real quick. Do you mind? Is it possible to share the number we're trying to raise or is that kind of still
1: I think at this point the number I understand is about 700,000
0: is what we're trying to raise the community. Still, yeah,
1: what is still yeah. left
0: I'm saying we because I'm just a supporter of, uh, <laughs> and, and I am and, too. And I want them to succeed yeah. there's there's no like coordinated campaign happening yeah. this morning no. but if people want to contribute to that I think this is the right thing at the right time done by the right people for the right people mm-hmm. where can people go and, and donate to that $700,000 delta
1: yeah my understanding is IMU360 it's I-A-M-Y-O-U and then the number 360 I
0: love it. This leads into our topic. Uh, really interesting guest essay out of the New York Times yesterday. Yeah. I timely. followed the lives of uh, 3,290 teenagers. This is what I learned about religion and education uh, written by Ilana Horwitz, an assistant professor of Jewish studies and sociology at Tulane University, real quick, set the table for us, Pastor Jeff. What was the essence of what uh, of what was learned in that article, and do you see the connection here in your work?
1: Well, I think the alarming observation is that one in five uh, of our youth will actually complete college at this point. So we're seeing severe dropout rates, and the gist of the the, the article was when a person is part of a faith community, as this article was emphasizing. Um, there is a greater propensity for them not just to be able to complete college but to, to thrive in what it is that they're doing. Which, you know, as somebody who is part of a faith community, I found that to be an interesting observation from an outside source.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, Pastor Jeff. On this show, I say, look you know, college isn't for everybody. Right. I think it should be available to as many people, Right. Um, and it's a great step for still a lot of people, mm-hmm. and 50% of the jobs that will be created in the next number of years in this country will require a college degree. Mm-hmm. So I think this idea of phasing out college is just misinformed. but there's a lot of other education that can happen, and I support that as well. This piece talks about um, how they looked at those who come from different socioeconomic backgrounds, Mm -hmm. and they found that for those from kind of uh, middle and upper class, um, a church connection uh, wasn't necessarily as helpful as a faith-based community was Mm -hmm. for working class Mm -hmm. young people, Mm -hmm. and, and found that 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 idea of a community and a moral uh, and foundational construct around a young person's life
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, is incredibly important, right. especially for those who may not have that automatically right. coming out of the womb. And we know there are parts of the community where that isn't as present. Well, what does that say to you? We have a whole other segment on this, but I thought that was interesting.
1: Yeah, well, I think what it says to me is that there, you know, especially through the pandemic, that need for community is huge. That need for community is is all the more necessary because of the things going around in our world, but how do we provide positive reinforcement with youth when they're struggling through some of the things that they're struggling? And you mentioned college isn't for everybody. I was, full disclosure, I was kicked out of college. I wasn't mature enough. Uh, I went back when I was 28 and completed uh, my undergraduate's degree, But uh, so I agree with you in that. But the things that college affords for our youth is family foundational uh, disciplinary sku- skills, the ability to follow through and complete with the things that they're they're putting the, their minds to mm-hmm. and then it provides a support of people around them or a group of people around them that gives them the 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 environment if you will to be able to uh, have social positive social interactions. And so what what's being said here is in the dropout rate, you know, being able to surround somebody with a faith community that's mm-hmm. also providing a secondary layer of social reinforcement is critical for success.
0: I mean, this comes in a long series of us asking and often without an agenda, it, it, what is the value of the faith community in mm-hmm. today's world? Mm-hmm. Does it matter? Uh, We're speaking about college, but the dark side of this are deaths of despair. We are seeing a rise in this, a drastic rise in the number of especially working class men dying from deaths of despair, opioids, alcohol poisoning, suicide, Mm -hmm. realizing uh, that there is um, a lack of social capital. Um, And in so many places in this country, the church still is the front line of social capital um, that can contribute to the long-term thriving of our young people and uh, it was interesting just this this piece just kind of raised that again in a very interesting way
1: The flip side of that is that I think the church has to be comfortable in speaking about those kinds of dysfunctions that are going on and all the more prevalent today. You know, I've had my own struggles with those things and not shy about sharing with them because I think when people realize that I'm a person like they are and have struggles similar to theirs, then we're able to overcome these things together. So I think that's the flip side where the church has to be able to have those conversations with people and to be transparent about what those struggles look like as a whole so that people can see that there is a way forward with all of the pressures that life brings right now.
0: I love it. Pastor Jeff, I could talk with you for an hour on this stuff we need to take a quick break but we have another segment on the other side one more on this topic with Pastor Jeff Lockson Pastor of Hope City Church he's our faith and culture contributor as we talk about the intersection of faith and culture church and community we'll be right back here on Tipping Point don't forget bottom of the hour syndicated columnist Ruben Navarrete comes on Uh, we're talking St. Patty's Day and what it means for us today we'll be right back with more here on 1030 The Voice
2: Your source for trusted local news and talk. 1030, The Voice. In 2021, FC Tucson was just getting started. We're building something special that all of Tucson can be proud of. Don't miss FC Tucson in action in 2022. Secure your season tickets now at fctucson.com or call 520-600-3095 and download the FC Tucson app in the App Store or Google Play to get updates on MLS preseason as FC Tucson welcomes the biggest teams in U.S. soccer in January and February.
0: Hey guys, and yeah, I mean guys, if you're a man over the age of 30 and you want to accelerate fat loss, gain lean athletic muscle, and build habits to maintain results, then the Sustainable Strength System is for you. I'm hanging on to 30 pounds myself that I don't need. And in this new year, I signed up with Akil for this 90-day program that coaches you through reaching your fitness goals with a focus on intelligent programming, nutrition, injury prevention, and lifestyle. If you're ready for a three-month journey to help better your health and strength, go to SustainableStrengthSystem.com. Located just two doors down from the Rialto Theater, Little Love Burger opened just last fall and is serving up the juiciest scratch-made hamburgers, loaded hot dogs, have ice cream milkshakes, lovable local brews, and the most addictive breakfast sandwiches. They're open Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. and Friday and Saturday from 9 a.m. to 10 p.m. Follow their beat on Instagram and Facebook at Little Love Burger Tucson and mention you heard about them on Tipping Point for 15% off your next order.
3: you, if you're like a lot of people in Tucson, you'd love to look at a new home while interest rates are still low, but you hear prices have gone up, competition is fierce, and you'd just rather avoid the hassle. I'm Kathleen Jernigan with CNC Partners, and I want to tell you that you can make the move now. Our team is one of the most successful in greater Tucson helping buyers get results in this hot market. Call 520-406-0233 and let us know you heard us on Tipping Point to schedule a no-strings-attached conversation to see if we can be on your team.
4: Hi, this is Tom Sullivan. Join me weeknights from 7 to 10 for the Tom Sullivan Show on 1030 KVOI, The Voice.
0: And we're back, Tucson and all of Southern Arizona. Good morning to you. Welcome live out of the Common Workspace studios. You're with me, your host, Zach Yenser, here on Tipping Point and our guest here, for one final segment, Pastor Jeff Locks, our Faith and Culture contributor, where we look at the intersection of faith and culture, church and community, on a uh, on a uh, on a regular basis here on the show. After that, Ruben Navarrete, the most widely read Latino columnist, will talk about his recent post, uh, recent article in the Washington Post. Uh, about St. Paddy's Day and how it fits within uh, what we're seeing around the world today. So that'll be an interesting conversation. Pastor Jeff, we're talking about an article that was in the New York Times yesterday uh, about a researcher at Tulane who looked at 3,290 some uh, teenagers and looked at different socioeconomic levels and religion. Of course, the big question we're asking now in in our society is does religion matter? Right um, and what is the role of the church as a social institution. Uh, some of this research shows that children, uh, that religious working class children uh, beginning in middle and high school, uh, 21% of religious teenagers brought home report cards filled with A's compared with 9% of their less um, religious peers. And of course, that goes on to say that theology, you know, it doesn't really have, you know, it's not like it has you know, it's a direct correlation. But in certainly, you know, the working and middle class, we're seeing data that says look, the social construct of faith institutions still matters mm-hmm. um, in providing a stepping stone to a successful life and some of the ways that we, that we define that. Uh, we're questioning our social institutions today, and I believe in building them back up. In your mind, what, what is the role of the church as a frontline institution uh, in meeting the needs uh, of those in our community?
1: Yeah, and in, in uh, framing that question, you bring up an interest, interesting point. I think the family structure of uh, yesterday emphasizes the the student getting the A's and for me what I've seen in working with the youth and those who are struggling is first they need the consistency around them in, in the home environment and even you know the support from in this case the faith community to show them that whatever that grade is it's less about the grade and more about their personal worth I've seen how that has over time and we're talking in some cases as much as a year to a year and a half has allowed that student to shift from the F's to the A's, Mm. but the A wasn't the emphasis, it was the consistency in the community. I think the role for the church is to to look in the mirror and say, who are we comprised of? What is our demographic? Do we have people that are further along in life that can help come alongside the youth? Are we comprised of young families that are struggling and need to have those kinds of mentors? What we're seeing in Tucson, different from other environments, I believe, is churches partnering with one another to provide holistic support for the community, which I think is fascinating. But the f- church first needs to understand what its strengths are and what it brings to the table, what they can contribute, and then look for what's missing to to connect the pieces to that puzzle.
0: This paragraph out of this article that, that caught my eye to kind of, combine with that, Pastor, and close us out. Children from wealthier families benefit from a network of connections and opportunities that many poor children in this country lack. College-educated parents tend to work in professional organizations, have robust social networks from college, where they meet other members of the professional class. All these social ties from the neighborhood, the workplace, and college, provide a web of support for upper-middle-class families, which sociologists refer to as social capital. Mm-hmm. Um, and talking about how the working, uh, you know, the working families in our country sometimes don't have those those benefits, and it's weird to talk about differences in social class, but they exist in this country, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and this article says, look for the church provides that front line. I think the church provides opportunities to serve, uh, opportunities to be counseled uh, mm-hmm. and work through certain challenges. Uh, but also the data points to uh, people that believe um, uh, in a God that isn't judging, but a God that is uh, evaluating and encouraging, I think was how the article put yeah. it, um, where there is this uh, the, this higher order um, that that is engaged in a daily day-to-day level, mm-hmm. that mentality is also important in that F to A transition that you were mentioning. Right Again, not our words, Pastor Jeff. No. This is somebody else's kind of data-driven approach, and we're just saying, huh, this is interesting. What it does it is. mean?
1: There's a phrase in the church world that you're not a prophet in your own town. It basically means... Uh, as we're talking about a subject that my kids aren't going to listen to me yeah. all the time. And to be a part of a community where there are other people, men and women, pouring into our, our the lives of our youth mm. uh, creates a web or a network, I think, that just ensures a greater success or likelihood of success mm-hmm. as they continue to, to mature.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting. This piece talks about how kind of the liberal intelligentsia talk a lot about What is the value of church? Mm -hmm. And then I think there's people like you and I who have uh, a lot of church-based experience, who Mm -hmm. spent months last year saying, you know, we're seeing the church struggle with power and politics and step into some things that maybe we shouldn't be stepping into. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I think everybody right now is kind of saying, what is the value of the church? Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, um, uh, American men and women and the church that are on the front lines are benefiting and seeing value. And we can't forget, the community and and, uh, and and faith benefit that churches still provide. We can get caught up in the philosophical, right? But it's the it's the working experience um, mm-hmm. that I think still matters in driving our conversation and policy in many ways.
1: Yeah, when the church is functioning optimally, when it's healthy, I think the 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 sky's the limit on the other side. And this is just one example of how that impacts future generations, which to me is promising.
0: Absolutely. Pastor Jeff, your church does so much for and with young people. Uh, this is a relevant conversation. Anything coming up you want to share? How can people touch bases with you off the air.
1: Yeah, as you're talking about it, we've got a group of high schoolers coming out this weekend, 120 of them breaking into a bunch of small groups of 15 and doing projects all throughout the city of Tucson. So they're going to be staying on the west side, partnering with the church over there. Uh, We're helping to facilitate that outreach. But uh, Tuesday, March 22nd, between 4 and 5.30 at Hope City Church, they're going to be providing meals for people that don't have access to an environment where they can Sit at the table and just have a conversation with someone who cares about them.
0: I love it. Uh, the website is Hope City Church tucson.com I thought it was but I thought I would check Uh, get a hold of Pastor Jeff good dude does a lot of great things in the community thank you as always for being here on the program and uh, many years on we're still doing this together so thank Thank you you. (laughs) when we come back from a short bottom of the hour break a few words from me and then Ruben Navarrete on the other side St. Patty's Day is tomorrow he wrote about it in the Washington Post we'll get his thoughts when we come back on 1030 The Voice
2: 2021 fc tucson was just getting started we're building something special that all of tucson can be proud of don't miss fc tucson in action in 2022 secure your season tickets now at fctucson.com or call 520-600-3095 and download the fc tucson app in the app store or google play to get updates on mls preseason as fc tucson welcomes the biggest teams in u.s soccer in january and february
0: Hey guys, and yeah, I mean guys, if you're a man over the age of 30 and you want to accelerate fat loss, gain lean athletic muscle, and build habits to maintain results, then the Sustainable Strength System is for you. I'm hanging on to 30 pounds myself that I don't need. And in this new year, I signed up with Akil for this 90-day program that coaches you through reaching your fitness goals with a focus on intelligent programming, nutrition, injury prevention, and lifestyle. If you're ready for a three-month journey to help better your health and strength, go to SustainableStrengthSystem.com.
4: Helping you make better money decisions is what The Ramsey Show is all about. Today at 1 p.m. on 1030 The Voice.
0: And we're back, Tucson and all those southern Arizona. Good morning to you. Welcome live out of the Common Workspace studios. You're listening to Tipping Point with Zach Yencer here on AM 1030. KVOI, The Voice, the in-depth news, conversation, and talk about the people, ideas, and issues shaping Tucson's future. This segment is sponsored by my friends over at Little Love Burger. They opened downtown last fall. They're serving up the juiciest burgers, loaded hot dogs, have ice cream milkshakes, local brews, and breakfast sandwiches. You can follow them on social media at Little Love Burger for their most up-to-date open hours. Beautiful spot over there a few doors down from the Rialto Theater. Uh, And mention that you heard about them here on Tipping Point. Uh, with Zach Yenser for a fifteen one five percent discount off your next order. Um I, I have heard that I am uh I am the burger discount dude, Matt, and uh I'm okay with that branding. I am proud to promote these great people running a great business in downtown in downtown Tucson. So if it's a good uh, burger, that's a good it, you know. It's it, it well it's a great burger. Yeah, I've had a burger it, and I've had a chicken sandwich and uh and and both are good. So uh, appreciate getting to, uh, to partner with them and, and go on and support good people, good food with a, with a good discount there. It's a, it's a good deal. So uh, we uh, just uh, spent a few moments with Pastor Jeff Locks in a really interesting piece uh, in the New York Times just yesterday by a researcher out of Tulane University basically asking, does church as a social institution, as a faith institution, matter And she got into the weeds in her piece yesterday in the New York Times, we got into the weeds um, with Pastor Jeff. And and broadly, I think we have seen a weakening of our social institutions, a lack of trust in our social institutions. The only institution since I think the 40s that has maintained a relatively high amount of trust by the American people and investment of time and energy by the American people is the military congress has dropped no surprise media has dropped church has dropped uh and i think now is the time not to run from our institutions but to invest and to build them back to where they need to be, and uh, so an interesting thread of conversation. Ruben Navarrete comes up on the other side of our final break. Here we're going to talk St. Patty's Day, his recent post in the Washington Post uh, that just went out uh, yesterday. So th- that'll be that'll be a good that'll be a good conversation. Uh, Matt, I, I started off my day in a very depressing way. I was at a citywide meeting a region-wide meeting around housing affordability, hearing from developers, hearing from government officials. It's incredibly depressing, but I'm happy that the business community is now saying, hey, maybe we should get more involved uh, in this topic and talk about housing affordability as not only a uh, social good, uh, but as a business and economic requirement And Phoenix is having this conversation. Um, Tucson's been a little slow to the table, but they're getting there. And that was super, um, super encouraging. But some statistics, I mean, this is crazy. I only have a couple of minutes here. 30%, it's estimated, of mom and pop landowners either exited the market during COVID um, or they reduced their properties during COVID due to uh, kind of the eviction moratorium. And look, here's here's the thing about numbers and data. It doesn't care whether you're Republican or Democrat. Right? At the end of the day, whether you were a fan of the eviction moratorium or you weren't, the data says that it forced thirty percent of mom and pops out of the market during COVID. And that's a problem. Building costs because of supply chain issues have gone up twenty one percent. Developers don't uh you know it doesn't that doesn't end up in the developers lap right private development has to go to a bank and say despite all that we are challenged by you ask us mr bank to show you that we can make 7% by the way if you're listening the the, the pockets are not lined for our friends in the private sector on these projects many of them many of them are squeezing by to make 6 to 7% profit and if you have a problem with that, I don't know what to tell you, because I think that's reasonable. I think, I think you know should be higher. Not exorbitant, but six to seven percent is not that high. Developers have to take those 21 percent and still go to the bank and say, "If you fund this project, I can guarantee you I can try that you'll get 6 or 7, I can get six to seven percent return." And guess what happens when building costs go up? the cost of housing goes up and that gets related to the consumer. It's estimated that for every thousand dollars of increased costs created for a unit of housing, you price 500 people out of the market, right? And so these are conversations to have when we say, well, do we require homes to have uh, electric vehicle charging units, right? It sounds like a good idea, probably is a good idea, but it raises costs on the working class. Look, I gotta tell you, this is not Republican or Democrat. I'm just telling you the numbers. The working class is getting hit in the teeth. The, 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 the middle class of this country is getting hit in the teeth and there's a lot of layers to blame, federal, state, and local. And, and the reason I'm passionate about housing affordability is because the numbers don't lie and they tell a story and the story is not pretty. If you, are, if you are making uh, the, the average median income, if you are making $65,000 a year in Tucson, you cannot afford a new home. You can barely afford a home that someone's already lived in. That's just the math with a 10% down payment. So, so, so the supply of housing is not there. The demand is up and wages are not keeping up with costs. We talked about this earlier in the week. Do not tell the American people that what they see and what they feel is not real. There's a lot of pieces of this economy by the numbers that are going really well. GDP, wages are going up a little bit. There, There's jobs aplenty. But the kicker is that because of inflation and supply chain and cost of living that real workers have seen probably a two percent decrease in their wages. Right? Workers own the market. They can set the wages. They can walk off. Uh, they can walk off the field. They're getting paid more than they have in a very long time, and yet they're saying, "Well, it doesn't matter," because cost of living's gone up. You know, whatever it is, nineteen, twenty percent. My wages have gone up four percent, and so your real life experience means that you don't get to see the benefit. Of wages, don't tell the American people they don't see and feel what they see and feel, and tell them that they're not looking hard enough at the data. They don't care what someone who makes 250 G's in Washington looks at on the Excel spreadsheet. That's offensive. And I'm passionate, right? Because I'll close on this. This is not an ROD conversation. I don't wear team blue shirt or red shirt. I'm a registered independent. You can go take a look. I'm telling you, the local data, what you and I feel in Tucson, Arizona, tells the story you need to know. And that actually excites me. You're hearing passion from me. That excites me, because now we have a story we can do something with. But to start out my morning with that was incredibly depressing. The working class is getting kicked in the teeth it, 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 here and around the country. We just, by the way, we just had in our in our uh, in our homeless uh, tent city growing in my neighborhood, we had a horrific um, action take place, a violent uh, activity. Uh, last evening that I found out about this morning Uh, the problems we don't solve whether it is housing, homelessness jobs public safety, the problems we don't solve well enough, big enough, fast enough always impact working class communities first worst and most and I wish more people heard that but that's the reality and I can tell you that because I live in one this isn't theoretical to me The data tells a story. When we come back from a break, uh, we're going to break a bit early. Ruben Navarrete is on the other side. He's the country's most widely read Latino columnist syndicated in the Washington Post. His recent piece came out about St. Patty's Day tomorrow and how it connects to some global events. We'll talk about that with Ruben on the other side. It's been a two-week break. I miss Ruben Navarrete. I'm going to get my fix, and so will you on the other side of the break. We'll be right back. Tucson's trusted voice for local news and talk. 1030, The Voice.
3: Hey you, if you're like a lot of people in Tucson, you'd love to look at a new home while interest rates are still low, but you hear prices have gone up, competition is fierce, and you'd just rather avoid the hassle. I'm Kathleen Jernigan with CNC Partners, and I want to tell you that you can make the move now. Our team is one of the most successful in Greater Tucson, helping buyers get results in this hot market. Call 520-406-0233 and let us know you heard us on Tipping Point to schedule a no-strings-attached conversation to see if we can be on your team.
2: time with Devin and her team.
0: Located just two doors down from the Rialto Theater, Little Love Burger opened just last fall and is serving up the juiciest scratch-made hamburgers, loaded hot dogs, have ice cream milkshakes, lovable local brews, and the most addictive breakfast sandwiches. They're open Sunday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. and Friday and Saturday from 9 a.m. to 10 p.m. Follow their beat on Instagram and Facebook at Little Love Burger Tucson and mention you heard about them on Tipping Point for 15% off your next order. This is Bill
4: Buckmaster, former Arizona Health Director, Will Humble during the noon hour on 1030 Tucson's Voice for Trusted News Talk.
0: And good morning to you, Tucson, and, and all of southern Arizona again. You are listening to Tipping Point. I'm your host, Zach Yenser, here on AM1030K, The Voice. He's the most widely read Latino columnist in the country. Uh, recently wrote an article in the Washington Post. You may have seen he is Ruben Navarrete, host of Ruben in the Center. Ruben, we took a couple, break, couple, couple weeks break from each other. Uh, distance makes the heart grow fonder. It's good to be back with you, Ruben. Thanks for being with us today. How are you?
4: Zach, I missed you. Good to be back with you. A fellow traveler here in the center of the road. Great to be
0: with you. <laughs> yes. Uh, it, it is painful, bruising work, but somebody has to do it. And uh, happy true. to follow your example, Ruben. <laughs> yep.
4: Yeah. As a partisan once told me, "No, I mean, really, honestly, Zach, a partisan told me once, nobody likes the folks in the middle. That the one thing the Republicans and Democrats can agree on, they hate the people in the center and and it just tells you how twisted we've all become and our politics have become because the normal are the crazy right and the crazy left and and somehow those of us who are in the middle uh, there's something wrong with us
0: well, well guess who uh guess who they have to uh get to uh, win elections though ruben
4: exactly yeah exactly Because they don't have enough uh, of their crazy sycophants on the far right or the far left but there is this kind of unpredictability for those of us in the middle because we have no trouble saying on a Monday, I think the Republicans have the right answer today on this issue. And then on a Tuesday, well, I think on this other issue, the Democrats have the right answer. No, neither party wants people like that on board, right? We're not viewed as dependable and predictable.
0: Oh, well, we'll carry on. Uh, we'll carry on, Ruben. Um, <laughs> uh, completely. That was a, that was a complete uh, rabbit rabbit show, Ruben. Um we're here to talk about Irish American Heritage Month, which yep. I believe was uh, dubbed by President Joe Biden. He called March uh, Irish American Heritage Month. Uh, he is uh, uh, has Irish is, is of Irish descent, and tomorrow is St. Patty's Day, which Ruben also turns out to be my daughter's birthday. So there's many reasons to to celebrate St. Patty's Day tomorrow, but certainly you've been in that headspace and your recent piece saints alive the ukrainians and the irish have a lot in common and the washington post uh yesterday reflects that give us a little refresher yeah. on kind of the history and legacy of irish americans in this country
4: well two things are going on zach in the putting together of this column i've been doing columns for 30 years over three thousand columns but occasionally something happens that sort of still surprises me and what happened with this column is i had intended as I do every single year, to write a St. Patrick's Day column. I write a St. Patrick's Day column because I love the Irish. Having spent five years in Boston in college and graduate school, I love the Irish, and I see a lot of similarities between Mexican-Americans and Irish-Americans, Catholic immigrants who were told to assimilate and somehow um, did and didn't. Uh, And so uh, because of that, I always had a plan to write today's column on St. Patrick's Day. But on the other hand, I had no idea that I'd be in the headspace with Ukraine Mm. and that, you know, Vladimir Putin basically threw a wrench into those plans because I've been obsessed with Ukraine every day for the last three weeks. And so at the 11th hour, as I'm starting to write this column, I'm thinking to myself, should I put off the St. Patrick's Day column this year and just do Ukraine or should I, you know, put off Ukraine and do St. Patrick's Day? But then won't people say, like, it looks out of place. And so basically i had this epiphany i said you know Navarrete, you're, you're making this too complicated this is the same story you don't have to choose between two stories because they are one and the same the ukrainians are the irish the irish are the ukrainians explain in both countries ireland and ukraine they know famine civil strife war uh they both fight for their identities the irish fought for their identities in the anglo-irish war uh, in the early 1900s against the British, the Independence War, uh, and also fought for their identities all those years being in the United States as immigrants. Uh, you never go into South Boston, go up to an Irishman and say, okay, you, you, you need to choose. Are you an American or are you Irish? Okay, because you'll get in a fight. But there are people all over the Southwest, including in Tucson, Arizona and all of Arizona where I've lived, who have no problem going up to a Mexican, American and saying, OK, you need to choose. Are you Mexican or are you American? And so to that end, the similarities between you being Ukrainian and being Irish, very, very strong. They're both fighters. Uh, they both have a lot of grit. As I wrote in my column, neither the Irish nor the Ukrainians were raised on puppy dogs and snow cones and sunny days. Uh, to be Ukrainian or to be Irish is to know life is full of pain and suffering and loss. And it only makes them stronger and harder to defeat. I'm in the camp of people who think that that even though the national symbol of Ukraine is the nightingale, it really should be the porcupine. And what the Russian bear has done is he's trying to swallow a porcupine. It's not going to go well for the bear. So there was the column coming together and basically imploring people in, in the United States to be much more like Poland. My message to the people of Arizona is man up, cowboy up. Okay, Everybody in Arizona think they're tough guys, be a tough guy, be like the Polish. This is how you're supposed to treat the stranger, the refugee, the immigrant. You don't declare an invasion and put up a wall. Okay, that's not what, what big good people do, follow the Polish. Arizona, be more like Poland.
0: Ruben, between uh, your article reminded me of this, I, I didn't have these numbers in mind. Between 1820 and 1860, the Irish constituted more than one-third of all immigrants yep. to the United States. Uh, that's 4.5 million Irish immigrants between 1820 and 1930. Um, and uh, I think many people forget the, uh, the mistreatment of the Irish people for, yep. for many years. Picked on, beaten, denied jobs, barred from certain neighborhoods. You mentioned Boston. Yep. Signs in Boston said help yep. wanted, no Irish need apply. Uh, mistreatment right. by the police in the mid-1800s. Uh, you know this. I. I don't. Phrase, I wouldn't say this is a forgotten a, piece of paddy American wagon. history, but certainly it's not always yeah. on the tip of our brains. I guess.
4: Yes, Zach. The phrase "the paddy wagon," the old phrase "paddy wagon." It's P A D D Y, and it was it was uh, really brought into to vogue in, in New York at a time when uh, the majority of the people who were being arrested were Irish. Now, interestingly enough, as we all know, Irish Americans came to dominate the police force in New York and Boston. But there was a time when both those things were true, when a majority of the cops were Irish, but the majority of the people in the clink were also Irish. And they called uh, these things the paddy wagons. Or they would haul you off to jail. And so the Irish were uh, mistreated. They have this long trajectory of, of immigration where a hundred year span, really, as you said, you know, over the course of a hundred years, they immigrate to the United States. But there was a, a one decade in particular in 1840s, the 1840s when not just a third of all immigrants who came to the U.S. were Irish. It was more than half. Mm. More than half of the people who are coming to the U.S. as a whole are Irish in the 1840s. And it causes a lot of problems, because the Irish, you see, Zach, had five strikes against them. They were uneducated, poor, they were Irish, they were immigrant, and they were Catholic. And the Scots-Irish who came before, who were the Protestant Irish, in fact, they had little trouble because they were protestant the catholic thing is a huge thing the italians were discriminated against because they were catholic the irish were uh, discriminated against because they were catholic prohibition came to be because it was an attack on catholicism many people saw uh and so yeah the irish had those five strikes against them and yet they persevered and when they throw a saint patrick's Day parade that's what this is about the irish message to america has always been the same zach you may have a problem with me being irish Like, don't make it my problem, okay? You don't like me? Too bad. That's on you. I'm not going to waste any time trying to accommodate your prejudices. That's what they told the WASP, basically, to hell with you. And that's what more Mexican-Americans in the state of Arizona need to say to the white, increasingly white minority, which is, you got a problem with me? That's your problem. To hell with you.
0: You know, I think one one difference, Ruben, I think about, and you mentioned this in your piece, 2.8 million Ukrainian refugees have left their homes, which is a tragic number. And many of them, if not all of that number that you mentioned, have uh, gone mostly to Poland. Uh, right. uh, and then and then that number has also gone to other, other countries. And you know, there are humanitarian corridors. This is a humanitarian crisis of, you know, generational um, proportions. Uh, real quick, this is a little bit off the cuff question, Ruben, But in your research for this piece, you know, I think about Ellis Island. I think about immigration policy uh, that America has had over the centuries. Uh, do we have the same immigration policy right now, um, or how how does it differ now to you know those decades when we welcomed four and a half million Irish Americans or Irish alone uh, into yes. into America? It's a good point.
4: The the really important. Date to keep in mind is 1924. The Immigration Act of 1924, um, separated, uh, the, the timeline. Anything before 1924, my grandfather came from Mexico during the Mexican Revolution before 18, before 1924. Most of the Irish immigrants we're talking about came before 1924. But the 1924 Immigration Act was the Italian Exclusion Act. It was put into law, the Reed Johnson Act, to keep out the Italians. It was a racist law against Italians. And what it basically said was, we want to limit the number of people coming from Italy. And they did it with cute language to say somehow that they would favor the English, the Irish, and the Germans, but not the Italians. And, and so that is really the important law. The next big change happens in the 1965 immigration law pushed by Ted Kennedy to do away with the per-country quotas. But the, the view from 50,000 feet is simple. Most of the Irish came before... The gate closed before and the gate closed because of racism of bigotry of prejudice against italians okay and and that was what we wanted to keep out the italians in 1924 and because of that they passed this law but before that the irish were able to come in freely so any irishman who says who calls up your show and says well my great-great-grandfather came here from ireland and he came legally well no gold star for you because you couldn't come illegally until 1924, and I say that even in the case of my own grandfather, no gold star for Rubin's grandfather, because my grandfather came in the early ni- in the between 1910 and 1920 with the Mexican Revolution. He came here as a child before the 1924 Immigration Act. So a little perspective. Americans mm. need to pick up a history book. They don't bite. They need to do more. Be more humble. Have more perspective. And don't walk around like you're the Queen of England just because, you know, Grandpa came legally. It may be that he couldn't have come illegally at the time he came.
0: Ruben, I wish that we weren't at time. We're with Ruben Navarrete, a uh, columnist syndicated across Washington Post, there, Daily Beast. There's a sound
4: Zach. Pick up a history book. They Do not bite. There's, I want that on the website.
0: Uh, I, I, I like that line as well uh, Ruben I could talk with you about this for much longer but we're at time and maybe we pick this conversation up uh, at, at a later time because I think there's so much to talk about where can people find you on the, uh, on the interwebs and listen to your podcast
4: right regular commentary at the Daily Beast com. my podcast is called Ruben in the Center available on all podcast apps
0: wonderful Ruben good to be back with you let's not do a two week break again it's way too long sir Thanks, Zach. <laughs> Thank you, Ruben. We'll be back tomorrow, Tucson. We'll talk with Devin Underwood from the talent store, talk about other news, lots of great guest conversations coming up. Hugh Hewitt's up next. Bill Buckmaster at noon. We'll see you on Thursday, Tucson. Thanks for listening.